Welcome to the B-Ball Index Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor, and today we have special guest draft guru, Chip Jones. Chip, have you are, are have you ever been uh, described as a guru before? Because I think it fits what you're doing. Uh, no, I have not. That's, that's definitely a first for me. I, I appreciate that. Um, hopefully I can live up to the title. <laughs> All right. So the NBA draft happens last week. And uh, Chip's been been grinding tape. Uh, he has a fantastic YouTube channel that were uh, I, I've been honestly I watched quite a few videos and I I felt like I really got to understand some of the top prospects a little bit more. We're gonna walk through the top five guys here. So Chip, we're gonna start with the Magic. They take uh, let me let me take a shot at this Paolo Bancaro from Duke first overall. And uh, can you kind of walk us walk us through what his strengths are and uh, kind of what you see him being in the NBA? Yeah, I mean, Paolo's, Paolo's a really interesting one. Um, I think one of his biggest strengths is that there's like a couple different ways he can be used in the NBA. I think the biggest thing for Paolo that kind of stands out and kind of made him stand out from the rest is, you know, when you're looking at top draft picks in terms of like translatable usage, like pick and roll stuff just jumps off the page is like, oh, if they can operate in a pick and roll, that's like super easy way to use a guy. And Paolo can run both sides of the pick and roll phenomenally well. He he can shoot on a pick and pop. He can roll to the basket. He's got good enough, you know, vertical spacing. He's good in the short roll as a passer. He flips his hips super well. And then also, especially with like AAU and high school stuff, he was running point guard most of the time. So, I mean, he was making pretty advanced reads where he's, you know, manipulating weak side guys and hitting second and third options. Really good passing. He's able to get to the basket and score. He can shoot from the perimeter as well. So, I mean, it's just super dynamic offensive usage that at a, a 6'10", 240-19-year-old is incredibly impressive. Uh, yeah, that, that does sound quite impressive. So wh- wh- what do you think is going to go on here with the Magic? Because they have Wendell Carter Jr. They just re-signed Mo Bamba. Like, did they look at the Cavs last year and they're like, maybe we should you know, have three bigs out there as well? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think the NBA is getting bigger as we go. And like the thing with Paolo defensively, and just kind of in general, his movement skills are pretty interesting. He's able to get, you know, really low on his drives. And he's also able to, you know, all of a sudden burst up and spin. And he, he gets up off one foot in traffic, you know, leaping. So, I mean, there's a lot of really impressive, unique movement skills. And I think when you have two guys like Mo Bamba and Wendell Carter that can just cover so much ground defensively and kind of offer strong side and weak side rim protection, you can kind of throw a guy like Paolo on the perimeter on like the opposing team's third worst perimeter creator and he can kind of hold his own he's going to be fine and you have such great help behind him that it kind of negates any disadvantage the defense has kind of like you saw Cleveland do with Larry Markinen when they were also playing Jared Allen and Evan Mobley all right yeah I'm uh, I'm looking forward to seeing that so number two the Thunder they grab Chet Holmgren from Gonzaga I feel like Chet's a guy I started seeing YouTube videos on like seems like two or three years ago. So he's kind of uh, a bit a guy that's had a little bit more of a spotlight on him. Can you kind of uh, break him down for us? Yeah, I mean, Chet's a super interesting player, and I think sometimes he can be a bit misunderstood. So, I mean, the first value with Chet, like the side of the court, he's obviously a lot better on his defense. Um, people have a lot of worries about his ability to kind of handle contact and, you know, oh, NBA teams are going to, you know, point him out and be like, oh, let's just attack him. But something that's important to keep in mind is that's been Chet's entire career. Every coach he's ever played against has said, attack the skinny guy, attack the skinny guy, and he got attacked. And I think people don't realize how personal he kind of takes that type of stuff and how much pride he takes in that. He's really good at, you know, lowering his center of gravity and kind of, you know, sticking his arms out or sticking a hip out to prevent, like, drivers from getting their chest into him. 
And I think the big thing with Chet is like if he sees contact coming, he's really good at handling it. It's just going to be about how much of that contact can you keep predictable for him, right? And not have him kind of scrambling and crazy things where he can't see things coming because his awareness and his length and his hand-eye coordination and timing is all just phenomenal 99th percentile outlier stuff. So, I mean, he's a great strong side rim protector. He's a great weak side rim protector. He's pretty versatile in the coverages he ran in the pick and roll um, defensively. He's really good at blitzing and recovering. He's good at like hedge and recovers. His length allows him to drop. Even if he doesn't have great POA defense, he can still get some light contests on those kind of mid range and floater shots that you're kind of looking to give up. And his just spatial awareness is phenomenal. And then one big thing with Chet is offensively his skill set of just spacing the floor, finishing super well at the basket, and passing well is super useful to just have as an offensive skill set. It offers like a really high floor, like passing and shooting is just going to get you on the court and be good, right? And then on top of that, in transition, he's truly phenomenal as a kind of grab-and-go ball handler. Um, I have a stats up here. This season as a transition ball handler, he was averaging 1.36 points per possession, and on top of that, he's also at 1.27 as a trailer, hitting trailing threes, dunks. So, I mean, he's just a transition nightmare, phenomenal defender. And in the half court, his offensive skill set is useful right now. Not the most developed, but he has potential to get better. And worst case scenario, he's a shooter who can pass, and that's useful. All right, Chet. So, <laughs> or Ch- sorry, Chip. <laughs> I was thinking about Chet. <laughs> um, um, I, I like that you kind of laid all that out for me because – you know, originally when I saw him, I was like, this guy's built like a runway model from the 90s, right? Where it's <laughs> like, uh, but he was also a high schooler. So I was like, whatever, it's not really a big deal. And then uh, I saw him just a little bit in college and that you said that he's good. Uh, so I grew up watching basketball in the mid 2000s where like defending pick and roll didn't happen as much, but it was a lot of like hedge and recover. And mm-hmm. uh, I love a good hedge and recover guy. So if he's good at that, I'm automatically like team jet. Uh and uh, another thing I noticed just in the, in the little bit, I did see him. You talked about this a little bit, uh, his ability to finish around the basket uh, on non dunks, like really impressed me in what I saw, like the touch. It was sort of like Zion when it was like, I mean, the you know, getting to the hoop and, and dunking is great and everything. But when you're taking those difficult shots specifically in front of the rim was something that kind of popped to me. And I'm just sort of a big believer of uh, when you have people that are around seven foot with touch. Like uh, when I worked at the football, I worked at Pro Football Focus. One of my bosses, it was he would talk about uh, the something like the walking man theory or something, where it was like there's only so many people walk or it was wa- walking the earth theory. There's only so many people walking the earth at this height at this size that can do these things. Where like it's it's worth it to see like whatever whatever things you might be worried about, it can sometimes be worth it to take the risk because like you said, you talked about all the ways he does mitigate contact or he handles it. And it's like a guy like that with touch like that at that size, there's part of me that's like, I gotta, I gotta know. I, I can't imagine passing on that, I guess is what I'm trying. The long-winded version of me saying that. No, for sure. Absolutely. I think you're spot on. I mean, it's like there's just so he's just such a useful player to have. And it's it's so crazy because, you know, if you need him as the strong side 
uh, rim protector, pick and roll defender. He can do that. If you need him as that kind of help side guy, he can do that. He's really confident as a role man in the pick and roll, even though he didn't get used like that a lot at Gonzaga. He did previously in high school with uh, Jalen Suggs as his high school teammate point guard. So, I mean, he's competent running the pick and roll. He's competent with that kind of like modern spacing and passing big man stuff. He's just so good in so many different areas. And his level of touch and size and flexibility is so unique around the rim. And it just makes him so deadly there. All right. So it sounds like the Thunder uh, got a good one. So next up, number three, the Rockets take Jabari Smith from Auburn. Uh, give us the scouting report on him. Yeah, I mean, Jabari's definitely um, he's he's got his elite strengths, right? He's 6'10", 220. Um, he is super light on his feet and he's really good with his defensive footwork and it helps him stay in front of guys and his kind of motor as well is super high. So, I mean, he's just a menace defensively. Um, the stats this season, I mean, defensive, uh, tracking stats can be a bit misleading at times, but sometimes, you know, if you see something, you're like, wow, this guy seems incredible at it. And then the numbers back it up. It kind of adds into it, right? Defending pick and roll ball handlers, uh, opponents against Jabari Smith had a 0.47 points per possession. And in isolation, it was 0.54. So, I mean, his like point of attack defense may have been the best in the draft at six foot 10. And then on top of that, his three point shooting for his size is unheard of levels of good i mean he was a 42 percent shooter from three i think on a super high volume so i mean he's a knockdown shooter great on ball defender the concerns with jabari may become doing other things right he's he's a bit limited as like a vertical athlete so some of the rim protection stuff can be a bit tricky and then the help defense isn't always necessarily there and he's got a a a ways to go as a passer he showed some nice flashes passing especially in transition but kind of that i feel like you know Oftentimes you get these top picks where they've been the best player and they've been able to just get off on like skill where it's like, oh, I'm just bigger and stronger so I can just dunk every time. And they kind of get used to that. Jabari's had, I can just take a jump jump shot every time, right? So the way I kind of have been explaining Jabari is he's kind of like a iso ball for nerds because he takes <laughs> a bunch of efficient shots and he plays really good point of attack defense at his size. But in terms of the like actually playing in a team, that's the stuff he's going to have to keep working on developing. Okay, so one thing that that I found interesting there was you you talked about that ability to come out and pick and roll and defend the ball handler he's really good at doesn't have the strongest rim protection numbers. And I feel like there's a conversation to be had there. I can't think of a lot of players in the NBA that are those super high-end switching players that also provide elite rim defense. And I feel like at a certain point, there's a push and pull there on uh, I I think there's probably size plays a factor. Weight probably plays a factor there because, you know, you have the mobility versus like the uh, just the huge wingspan type stuff or I don't mm-hmm. know, maybe, like, you know, like a Rudy Gobert where it's like, yeah, yeah, at a certain point, like you just can't have someone be that mobile, at like seven foot plus, you know, and uh, I don't know. I feel like there's something there where it's like you, you can't you can't have like a hundred percent a plus in every single part of a player's game. And I feel like sometimes when it, it becomes draft time and either, you know, fans are upset or excited about a player, they can sometimes highlight or, you know, go after the inverse of, or, you know, whatever that skill is. And I feel like with, with him, I get what you're saying where it's like, Hey, you're just pointing out the things he's good at the things he's, you know, maybe not as strong as at, but I, I feel like there's, there's gotta be a push and pull there of, you know, being able to come away from the basket versus being able to, you know, be around the basket and play defense. And like, there's only so you can only excel so much at, at both of those, you know? 
Oh, for sure. I mean, it definitely like, defensively, like there's not a ton of questions on my end. Like there's definitely going to be some things where, you know, I don't think he has like small ball five equity. You know, he, he has a seven foot wingspan, but at 6'10", that's only plus two. So it's not really like and the the leaping, the vertical athleticism isn't the best. But like in terms of just like being a defensive positive, like he's going to be a very good defender at the NBA level for like a very long time. There's like very few questions about that. I think the thing that just is important to keep in mind is, you know, when someone's like so good at this kind of three and D role, sometimes people, when they're trying to project growth, they'll say, you know, oh, well, they can just get better in this area. And sometimes, you know, someone's close to being good in an area. And then, you know, it's just a little bit of tweaking to get there. I think there's a lot of areas where he legitimately very much struggles. And that's kind of the concerning part is you're going to have to develop these things. And the place he's starting from is so low that that's a bit scary. Mm, yeah, no, that makes sense. Uh, so rolling on number four, the Kings take Keegan Murray from Iowa and, uh, you know, g- give us the uh, backstory on him. Yeah. Keegan's a super interesting one. Cause it's kind of been a, he kind of came out of nowhere. You know, people were aware of him and a, a lot of people him as like a late first round guy towards the beginning of the year, you know, coming into the year. Um, but to go number four was like, no one thought that this was going to happen. Um, so in his freshman year, he was kind of more of a role player next to Luca Garza, who signed with Detroit last year and Joe Weiskamp, I think, who's with the Spurs. Um, those two are kind of the, the primary scorers. So Keegan is more of a kind of defensive specialist wing defender. He can do a couple useful things offensively with, you know, scoring around the basket and stuff, but wasn't really a shooter yet. And then this season he came back and all of a sudden he was their number one option on, you know, highest usage on the team, scoring like 20 points per game. His shot took a massive leap where he was shooting around 40 percent from three. Um, So the big thing with Keegan is like I kind of always compare him to like a robot, right? (laughs) He is just such an elite level of decision maker in in terms of like the Bart Torvik is a statistical database for college stats going all the way back to 2008 for what we have tracked. And. Um, Keegan is the only high major player to have 25% or more usage and a turnover percentage below eight. So, I mean, he just is a good decision maker. He doesn't turn the ball over. He can score from three, the mid range and at the rim. The concerns with Keegan are more one, he doesn't really create things for himself. So he's more of a play finisher than a play creator, which, you know, works really well with what the Kings have going. Cause they have a couple play creators there. Right. And then the passing is a little bit behind, but again, like if he learns that his decision-making on it is really good. So I, I think he'll get there over time, but again, there's like not a ton of creativity. And then the other thing is his defense took a big step back because his offensive load got so much bigger. So it's going to be interesting to see in Sacramento, if he can kind of tap into that freshman year Keegan defense with the sophomore year Keegan offense, that's kind of what you're looking for. So what you're telling me is I should be excited for Sabonis in, in Murray playing together. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's a phenomenal fit. All right. I like that. That's that's I survive. I, I don't know. I don't know if I've talked about this on this podcast. I am a really big Sabonis fan. Uh, when I first started watching the NBA, Pau Gasol was my favorite player. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's something about those Euro dudes that that can pass that are big. They're just it is aesthetically pleasing to watch. So I'm excited. This will be someone I, I'm looking for him to feed. Oh, for sure. I mean, if you're if you're a young, young Pau fan, I think the the one thing this year um, was maybe the first year in a while that we got um, Chet Holmgren. He got a couple uh, rookie Pau comps. So, okay. well, I was already excited and I'm 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 near the 100th percentile in excitement. (laughs) Um, Number five, Pistons, Jaden Ivey. I don't know why, but my Twitter account was like every single post about Jaden Ivey 
from Purdue you are going to see leading up to the draft. So I got every opinion under the sun. Uh, Chip, can you give me the thinking basketball slash Chip Jones educated opinion? Yes, of course. I'll do my best. So, I mean, to, to clear this up immediately, I had Jaden Ivey as the third best player in this class. I think it like it was a massive coup for Detroit that he fell to five. Um, I mean, they should be like elated. I, a phenomenal. It's so, so crazy that they got the chance to take him with the fifth pick. So, I mean, the first thing with Jaden Ivey is about six fours. Wingspan's about like six eight ish. So, I mean, he is a 99th percentile guard athlete, just like can run full court in like five seconds. He's just a blur off ball. And it's not the type of every year we get players who come in who are good athletes. Like I think Shaden Sharp is one person that a lot of people talked about. Wow. He's like a phenomenal athlete. Jaden Ivey blows Shaden out of the water as like an athlete. Like he is phenomenal. Like in that kind of Westbrook, John Morant, Derek Rose type vein of like, he's in that conversation, not just the good athlete conversation. Right. So, I mean, he is phenomenally quick. He gets up, he's super strong for his size and he has an interesting amount of skill that he's already shown and that he's able to leverage with his athleticism to be super impactful. Um, you know, Purdue's offense ran through a pair of bigs because, you know, it's college and teams do stuff like that <laughs> still. But when he did get to run pick and roll, you saw some really interesting things. He got really he got a lot better throughout the season at kind of, you know, slowing himself down and kind of altering his pace to throw defenders off. The big thing with Ivy is if he can there's there's not a lot of margin of error for defenders so i mean he's just going to blow past you if you step up too close and face guard him and you aren't you know marcus smart or something he's just going to blow straight by you and when he gets to the basket it's just going to be a dunk most of the time there's some concerns people have with him um you know he doesn't do as well when he goes left as when he goes to his dominant right but i think the important thing to keep in mind is if you if you watch when teams force him left He'll go left. And if you're if you're forcing him, you know, you're in a pick and roll, you're kind of denying the screen, you're playing to his side, you're not going to get back in front of him. And then your big is just having him run at you at full speed. And he's really good at getting back to his right from those situations. So, I mean, the interesting thing for Ivy is he shoots well off the catch, but not really off the dribble. His passing is still kind of a work in progress, but he's pretty young. He's, I think, slightly under 20 or just turned 20 and phenomenal guard athlete has all the potential in the world as a point of attack defender. He's a good shooter on the catch and he's got a lot of fun ball skills and just smarts in his game that it's going to be exciting to see how he develops this long term. All right. So that's going to, that's going to do it for our, you know, kind of player deep dives. We did the top five. We did Paolo, Chet, Jabari Smith, Keegan Murray. And then we just talked about Jaden Ivey from Purdue. Uh, those are the top five guys. Those are the guys that I feel like, you know, we had some spotlight on, like I've watched your YouTube videos on these guys. There was a, a little bit of familiarity. So chip, let's go, you know, you've been, you've been grinding this draft. Let's go, you know, out of the, you know, past the lotto picks, where are you seeing if you're, let's say you're a prospector and you're looking for gold, where do you think some teams might've struck some gold after the lotto picks in this year's draft? I mean, when you when you talk about steals in this year's draft, like one just like blinking headlights, you know, is like super apparent. Um, and that's Jaden Hardy, who the Mavericks were able to snag with the 37th pick. Um, so coming into the season, Hardy was actually on ESPNs. He was the number two ranked high school player in this year's class. I think overall he was third. Um, so, I mean, coming into the year, he had like locked on top five expectations and he played for the G League night this season. He's a 6'4", 200 pound, 20 year old guard. Um, coming in, he really struggled to start the year. Like it was really bad. He has issues finishing at the rim and his whole thing was supposed to be that he was an elite shooter and the shot wasn't necessarily falling at the rate you expected. And then defensively and kind of passing, there were a lot of issues, but this season 
as it went on was like a complete metamorphosis. You know, with the G League Ignite guys, with these other college guys, you know, they're going to classes and stuff. The G League Ignite guys, they're just playing all day and they're training with professional coaches all day. So like this is the second year in a row where the G League Ignite guys got so much better throughout the season. And so Hardy, he's become a very good passer. He's super creative and his handle and his kind of shiftiness allows him to get wherever he wants. There are a couple issues where he prefers these like because he's more shifty than like explosive. He likes these really high hang dribbles to kind of set his man up. And when he shoots, he has this really low dip on his shot. So it's like the high hang dribble into the low dip. A lot of the space he's creating gets kind of taken up while he's, you know, getting from the ball high to low and then back to high. But in terms of like being super creative offensively, playing off the ball super well, he's always moving. He's always trying to find an advantage. He's always coming up with, you know, creative solutions to different problems. And I liked him. I had him as almost, I had him as a lotto grade player, like a late lotto player. He fell really far. And on top of that, when you talk about a guard who's really good at playing off of the ball, going next to Luka Doncic is like a dream fit. You look at guys like Jordan Poole with Steph and Tyrese Maxey with Joel Embiid and James Harden. When those guys get next to a star, it tends to work out really well. And I think that's exactly what's going to happen with Jaden Hardy. Uh, th- that's interesting. The point you made about going to the G League. I know we we don't have a ton of data on it because it you know hasn't been happening for long enough. But like you think, like how much do you think a season like this, right, is going to influence future high school players? Where they're like, okay, we saw like the the massive jump in one season. Like you said, you're not going to class. You're training. It's it's your job at that point, and like you're getting a little bit of a head start on that. Like, do you think that's going to become like, or what do you think that becomes in the future? Yeah, no, I, it's really interesting. I'm not sure, honestly, because these next few years are going to be really important just because we're learning so much. But then there's also things like the Overtime Elite League that's doing similar things where you can go to classes and you can go there for a few years and kind of train. And there's also that. There's the NBL Next Stars program. There's more things overseas. There's Some players are doing private training and not even doing anything. They just do a private training for a year. So there's a lot of options. So it's super murky and it's hard to tell. But I think this year's G League Ignite group, Dyson Daniels, Marjan Beauchamp, and Jaden Hardy specifically, the top three, those guys I think are going to have very good careers because they all improved a ton over the season and got put in near perfect fits, all three of them. And I think it's going to be really good kind of looking forward. People are going to look back on this and see, wow, those three really helped themselves going to G League Unite. So that, that totally makes sense. But I, this just popped into my head. There's no sororities in the G League. Mm, mm-hmm. So I guess that's maybe the counterweight. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's uh if you're interested in extracurriculars, you know, getting a big MBA contract can maybe help you with that. So, you know, maybe you put it off and you get you get the long term investment, I guess. I guess you could you could be like, hey, why why develop your why develop your metaphorical game when you could just get develop your real game and get an MBA contract and that stuff might more take care of itself. I think, yeah, I think we're getting off topic, but all right. Uh, <laughs> can you give me can you give me one more uh, non lotto pick that uh, that you really like? Maybe the next mvp from serbia taking in the second round type player anything coming to mind for that Ooh, that's a that's an interesting one if if we're looking for like those kind of high upside guys i would say maybe bryce mcgowan's out of nebraska he was like a i think he was like 18th in the class coming into the year just a lot of like shot creation stuff darion sebron um from nc state he was a sophomore uh he has a very narrow game in terms of the things he really excels at but you know getting to the rim is his big thing and he is just 
elite when it comes to getting to the rim, finishing, passing, shooting, defending those things, maybe not. But I mean, like <laughs> if you can drive and get to the rim at will, that's like the best offensive tool. If you're just going to have one to have, and he has it in spades. So it's going to be interesting to see if he can kind of turn that around and make a lot out of what he has as a skill set right now. I agree. As a big THT fan, I do I do enjoy a player that can get to the rim. Um, <laughs> we talked about this a little bit before we started recording. Uh, I, I'm always curious to know how guys, you know, we always talk about this with the, with players where it's like, how, how do players from different eras, you know, match up? Da, 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 da. My thing is always like if you were to put, you know, the players from the last four drafts together, if you took DeAndre Ayton, Cade Cunningham, Zion, like how would they match up or, you know, vice versa how would Paolo and Chet match up with those guys on a big board yeah I mean if we're if we're gonna drag it back to 20 are we going back to 2018 or 2019 here because we have we have eight and right so we're going 2018 whatever you want to do all right so if we're going 2018 I feel like Zion and Luca are probably in a tier of their own at the top and then you would probably have like Cade Jalen Green Evan Mobley DeAndre Ayton and John ja Morant and then I would probably put Chet and Paolo. So I, I think maybe I'd have them above Jaw, just because Jaw as a prospect was coming from mid-major and had some, had some concerns. Yeah, I would say it's probably like, I'd probably take all of Zion. Um, I would take I would take Zion, Luka Doncic, Cade, Evan Mobley, Jalen Green, and maybe Ant Edwards above them. But after that, I think that's when you would start getting Paolo and Chad involved. So after maybe those six or seven. Okay. Yeah. I appreciate that. Uh, that context that, that helps me. Uh, I like that a lot. Um, uh, we're getting close to the end here. Any players that just, that fell in the draft, like off a cliff that you just, you're still scratching your head about. Yeah. I mean, one that, one that I've not understood. I've got, I guess two for this, right? One that I did not understand is Caleb Houston. I think I'm the only person who still liked him by the end of the season. I'm not really sure why. So for a little slight background, he was the number six player coming into the year, right? So the way he kind of built up his profile is he played at Montverde Academy, which the team he was on, he was a, a junior when he was a starter, and every one of his teammates were seniors. You may have heard of them. Uh, Cade Cunningham, Scotty Barnes, Moses Moody, and Dayron Sharp. Those were his four teammates, and he was the fifth guy as the junior there. So when he played off of those guys as a complimentary player, he's 6'8", he can shoot really well, he passes really well, he's a really smart player, he was phenomenal. And then over the summer, this previous year, right, he went with Team Canada, and they wanted him to run the offense, and he wasn't very good at it because that's not what he's good at. Then he went to Michigan, and they wanted him to run the offense, and he wasn't very good at it because that's not what he's good at, right? <laughs> but the only time he's been in like a contextual, like being a connector, shooter, like ancillary player, he was phenomenal, and he's getting drafted to the NBA to do that role, and then everyone just knocked him down a bunch, and he ended up going 32nd to the Magic because he didn't do good as a primary creator but that that's not what we're that's not what he should be doing so like i don't really see how that matters that much <laughs> that is that's one of my favorite descriptions or just explanations of like a player in his situation and your feelings about it all right so i'm gonna be real with you i listened to you on the i heard you on the thinking basketball podcast right and mm -hmm. uh i heard you know you talked about the draft and it was really great and i, I learned a lot and I was like, I actually had to re-listen to uh, parts of it because it was so dense with information that I was like, I don't think I got all that. And I think there's a lot here. Um, I feel I'm, I'm really, honestly, I'm just really glad you came on the show because I feel like 
what you just explained there is so important to understanding why so many prospects uh, are underrated, overrated, why they fail, why they don't fail, why the situations they go to are so important. And I feel like, honestly, that type of, I mean, there's so many things going through my head right now. That type of, of explanation is one why I really wanted to have you. I, honestly, I wanted to have you on the show because I was like, this guy's going places. That like that type of explanation shows me that like you are not cutting any corners. And I appreciate that so much. And I just appreciate I can just tell the how much you are passionate and how much you care about this and how you have an eye for things where uh, I'm just really glad if anyone takes anything away from this episode, it was that recap of a player right there because like, honestly, that, that analysis was special. I, I really appreciate that. That's, that's really kind of you. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to say to that, but I, I really appreciate it. It means a lot. It's very nice. <laughs> um, all right, on a much lighter note, on the lightest note possible, I am a huge fan of people with great names in sports. And my best name for this draft is Ty Ty Washington Jr. That's a player I see later in the draft. I'm taking him based on his name. Is there any names in this draft where you're like, I absolutely have to have that? Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely a couple fun ones. Uh, I'm a big fan of, well, there was, I think, no, Ziga Samar, uh, he he left the draft. Um, oh, I was that's a, big a good fan of, one. Yeah, I was a big fan of Orlando Robinson. Uh, he's a was an undrafted free agent. The the Heat signed him. He's a pretty fun player. Um, outside of that, there's Jamari Bouye. That's Ooh. a fun one. Yep. Um, there's another Champagne twin this year. There was one last year as well. So you got another one of those. Uh, Darion Sebron, who we touched on. His, his last name is literally like C and then Bron, like <laughs> LeBron. It's like Ocean LeBron, basically Sebron. Yeah. Um, that was another fun one. And then I think, um, you know, it was fun that there's Jalen Williams, J-A-Y-L-I-N, and then Jalen Williams, J-L-E-N, yeah. and then they both got drafted by the Thunder. Yeah, they did. You see they did the, uh, uh, how the know, Spider-Man, the Spider-Man thing? meme thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. so that's, that's another fun one for me, I would say. All right, yeah. Uh, I love a good name in sports. Uh, all right, so that's going to wrap it up for the episode. Chip, you can follow him on Twitter. He has a YouTube channel. Chip, do you want to just plug everything you have going on? Um, yeah, I mean, every, most of everything I put is on Twitter, ChipJNBA. Um, anything I post on YouTube or anything will be there. I also have YouTube if you don't have Twitter, uh, ChipJNBA. And then, of course, a lot of my uh, scouting work goes into videos for Thinking Basketball. So the Thinking Basketball YouTube channel has a lot of my stuff as well. All right, fantastic. Well, Chip, thank you for joining me on the, uh, on, on the draft recap episode. And uh, I hope to have you back on the uh, show soon. Of course, anytime. Thanks for having me. All right, we'll see you next week on the uh, Basketball Index Podcast.